0: Have you enjoyed yourself? Have you gotten any sleep? No. That's okay. You don't go to retreat to sleep. You sleep when you get home. You enjoyed the food? Haven't we had the best food? <laughs> Not really. It's okay. You don't go to retreat for great food. You go to retreat You go to retreat for a very specific purpose. You need to make sure that you get what you came here for. And what you came here for was not good food and good sleep, but what you came here for was the spirit of God, the presence of God, the fellowship of the brethren, and the word of the Lord, and establishment in the truth. Amen. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and your spirit. I pray you'd give us life. I pray you'd bring all of the things together that we have shared about over the last couple of days. We pray that you'd make it live. And I pray, Father, that the seed of your word would be planted in the soil of our hearts and that our hearts would be good soil to receive that seed. I pray that it would bear fruit, some 30, 60, and 100-fold. I'll give you praise, glory, and honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today we are talking about your mission. Your purpose is why you are. Your identity is who you are. Your nature is what you are, and your mission is what you're supposed to do. Your purpose and your identity are not functional. They are familial. They are relational realities. Your purpose is to be the object of God's eternal love. And to be an active recipient of his love means each and every day you are intentional about coming to him to receive his love. Your identity means your identity as a child of God is to be a reciprocator of his love. It simply means to re- once you receive the love of the Father, the natural result is that you love him back. That's what John said. We love him because he first loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so once we receive his love, it is very natural to love him in return. I talk to a lot of believers who feel guilty about not loving the Lord enough. I just, I need to love God more. Well, we love him because we first, he first loved us, which means that if you feel any lack of love in your heart for God, it simply means you have not received the fullness of God's love for you. And so even then you don't go to God and say, help me love you more. You go to God and say, help me receive more of your love for me. When my daughter, I told you my daughter was colicky when she was a baby and my wife and I had to constantly rock her and sing to her and pat her back and she didn't like to be rubbed, she liked to be patted and she liked to be patted very roughly, you know, and I would bounce her and, and, you know, Sonny and I would bounce her and pat her and sing to her when she was colicky and I remember when she was probably about one and a half, about 18 months old one day, I was holding her and I was patting her and I was singing to her and she started patting me back. Now she's becoming conscious of her identity as a daughter. Yeah. Until then it was just receive. She knew how to rec- she knew that her, her job was to receive. Babies, they know that they have no other responsibility than to receive. Yeah. But the more you come to maturity, the more you begin to become self-aware of the fact that I'm also a reciprocator of the, the love of God. And when I go to love him back, all I could do is give him back the love that he's given me. That's your identity. And we talked about your purpose and your identity being the realm of the well-pleased. We said, God speaks to Jesus, his son, and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And we said that God is well-pleased with all of his sons and daughters, that in order to receive the well-pleased, all you have to do is have a heartbeat. That is, if your heart is beating for the kingdom of God, he is well-pleased. The moment you were born into the kingdom, the moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were born again, God was well pleased with you from that very moment. But when we're talking about your nature and your mission, your nature and your mission are functional realities. They have to do with what you do. And while the purpose and identity are the realm of the well pleased, your nature and your mission are the realm of the well done. So in Matthew chapter 25, He tells a parable about a master who goes on a journey, but before he leaves, he gives his property over to his servants. And to one he gives five talents, and to another he gives two talents, and to a third he gives one talent. And then he goes on a long journey, and when he leaves, the one with five talents immediately puts those talents to work and makes five more. These are sums of gold. A talent was a year's wages. So five talents was five years' wages in gold. So the one with the five talents, he went and traded. That is, he went and invested the money that the master gave him and doubled it. Yeah. The one with the two talents went and invested the money the master gave him and doubled it. But the one with the one talent said to himself, he, he, first he went and buried it in the ground and hid it. His only thought was, don't lose what I have. Yeah. Don't take any risks. Yeah. Don't do anything that I don't feel adequate for. Don't do anything that I don't feel prepared for. Just bury it in the ground. Just make sure I don't lose what I have. No thought about multiplication. No thought about increase. Just simply, I don't want to get in trouble. And the master comes back, and he calls his servants. And the one with the five talents says, look, master, you gave me five. I made five more. And the one with the two talents says, look, master, I gave you two. and I made two more. And he says to both of those servants, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. Now I'm going to make you master of much. But to the one with the one talent, he comes and says, here's your one talent. He says, what? One talent? He says, yeah, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you were a hard man and that you gather where you have not sown. Translation, I knew that if I went out and worked for you, you would take it all anyway. And you would just take everything from me and leave me with nothing. You would just strip me bare. And he said, well, you, you should have at least taken the, the money I gave you and left it with the bank. I could have left it with the bank, and at least I would have made interest on it. But you did nothing with it? He said, depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. All of God's children get the well-pleased. But only the faithful get the well-done. And the reason many of us miss the well done is because we haven't first been established in the well pleased. And this is what this whole process is all about. You see, when you confuse the well pleased with the well done, yeah. you're working for the Father's favor yeah. when you already got it. Yeah. And when you're working for the Father's favor, you're serving the Father apart from sonship with no consciousness of your sonship. And service without sonship is slavery. And you're no longer slaves, but sons. But when you've been established in the well-pleased, you can approach the well-done without anxiety. But when you haven't been established in the well-pleased, you're scared to death when you approach the well-done. I mean, because what if I mess up and what if I fail? And what if it all falls apart? The last thing I want to hear the Father say to me is get out of here, you wicked, lazy servant. You know what I mean? Like That's the last thing I want. The problem is, if I don't start with the well-pleased, I don't have the confidence to approach the well-done. But once the well-pleased is taken out of the way, now my value to the Father is no longer a question. My value to the kingdom is no longer a question. You ever hear, you know, if, if you ever ever think to yourself, well, I don't have anything. Well, I don't have much. Well, I, I, I wish I had a I, don't have a... I don't have anything that's of value. You've misplaced your sense of value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think your value is in what you do, and you don't realize that your value is in who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you heard any of your own children talking that way, like, can I imagine... Could you imagine if you came to my house and a lady was sitting in the living room looking sad? You said, what are you sad about? Well, I don't have anything to contribute to this house. And I don't, I don't think I have any gifts that, that really are of value to this house. I don't think I can add anything. She doesn't care if she adds anything to the house or not. She's not even thinking about adding to the house. She's like, I'm a daughter up in this house. This is my place. That's how you're supposed to feel, right? But once you discover that you're a son, that you're a daughter, and you've been established in the fact that daddy is well pleased with me, now you can set out to discover your nature and your mission yep. without anxiety. Yep. Yeah. Let's see what I got. Yeah. I'm willing to try anything. Yeah. Let's see what I got. Yeah. If it fails, so what? I can't fail. It may fail, but I can't fail. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm step out and try. And guess what might happen? I might fall on my face. <laughs> I do, I get up, I'm gonna laugh, and I'm gonna look up, and Daddy's gonna say, that's okay, get up and try it again. Why, because he's already well pleased. That's already done. So we need to be servants of the Father, but we serve as sons and daughters, not as slaves. I remember when I was in the first grade, uh, one of my closest friends, uh, he and I were walking and talking after school, and he went into a room where his father was hard at work. His father was a contractor, and his father was putting up sheetrock walls. And he walked in the room, and he picked up a belt, and he put it around his waist, and his dad said, hand me the hammer, son. And he grabbed a hammer. And he had a belt that looked just like his father's belt. And I was so jealous. And, and uh, his dad looked at me and said, Benjamin, I'm sorry, but you can't be in here. You have to go out. And I had to step outside. And I watched as this man served, as this little boy got to serve with his father. And I, I thought back about that, that service in the kingdom of God is a privilege. I envied this boy that got to work with his father. But he was not a slave He got to work because he's a son You see if service in the kingdom of God Seems to be a burden It's because we've lost our sonship Serving the Lord apart from sonship Is the greatest burden Because now you're trying to please The infinite one And how can you please the infinite With all we have is temporal but serving as a son, now it's waking up every day, going, Dad, what are we, what, are, what are we doing today? Are we building a wall. And the crazy thing was, this boy knew nothing about carpentry. Yeah. All he knew how to do was to stand there wearing his belt, looking at his dad. <laughs> and his dad's like, Hammer, there goes the hammer. <laughs> nail, here goes the nail. That's all he knew how to. He, all, at the end of the day, God is the one who's building the house, not you or me. Yeah. All he's asking us to do is stand next to him and just listen and wait. Get to stand here with my daddy. We're building a house. We're building the house of God. We're building a temple. We're building a dwelling place for the Most High, but he's doing the work, not me. And so we're living for the well done. You get the well pleased at the beginning and you get the well done at the end. And the well pleased propels you towards the well done. And once you've been established in the well pleased, the confidence you have is, oh, I know I'm getting the well done. Because all you got to do to get the well done is be faithful. And do you know the definition of faithfulness? This is the thing. When we talk about faithfulness, a lot of believers get anxious. Because the first thing that comes to your heart is, I don't think I've been faithful. Do you know what the definition of faithful is? Faithfulness is not success. His well done is not reserved for the successful. It's reserved for the faithful. And the faithfulness is not defined as success. Faithfulness is simply not quitting. Quitting. Faithfulness is this, I wake up every day and I seek to discover what my Father wants me to do today. Yeah. And every day I try to do that. Yeah. That's faithfulness. Yeah, yeah. Faithfulness is every day seeking to be obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus defined faithfulness like this, I just do what the, I see the Father doing. Yeah. Every day I just look see what's the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. And he started that at 12 years old. Remember his parents thought he was in the caravan and they took off and they left Jerusalem. They're headed back to Nazareth and they get a day out and they realize Jesus is not with them and they turn around, they got to go back and they find him and they're mad at him. He's in the temple reasoning with the elders and they said, where did you go? He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? (laughs) Translation, the father didn't leave yet, so I couldn't leave. I got to be about my father. I'm just trying to do what I sense the father doing. I'm just trying to do what I sense the father doing. That's all. That's faithfulness. Now, when we begin to couch our mission in terms of sonship, think of it this way. We gotta follow the metaphor all the way out. Now, your purpose, to be active recipients of the Father's love. Your identity, your sons and daughters. Now you discover your nature. And And I think of, I love a household. We think of the church as a household that's filled with sons and daughters. All of us have different gifts. So when I think about the household I grew up in, my brother, one of my brothers was like really techy. He was like handy, you know? Like he could, he's the kind of guy who would take, you couldn't leave anything in the room because he would disassemble the whole thing. Like if you accidentally left your stereo in his room, that thing got taken apart. I mean, he disassembled the whole thing and he'd put it back together and make it into something else. He'd turn it into something else. So anytime anything needed to be fixed in the house, we called him. And then my brother Charles was always, he had my dad's gift for rearranging, like he always had to rearrange the furniture. So my dad had this thing where if you, you don't come in and tu- and without turning on the lights and sit down, because the couch might be in a different place. <laughs> <laughs> And so my brother got that gift of of knowing how to arrange spaces. And so if if something needed to be rearranged, we'd call him, say, Hey, Charles, how, how could we reassemble this room to make it? Look, all of us had our particular strengths. All of us had our particular gifts. And what tends to happen is that the father begins to connect with different members of the household for different things at different seasons and at different times. One is not expected to be the other. So even academically, the expectations were not the same for all three of us brothers. My parents understood where each of us were. And if one of us got a, a B, our parent would say, well done, that was great. But another of us, if we got an A-, minus, they'd say, you could have done better than that. It wasn't about a standard, everybody has to get the same grade. It was simply, you need to be faithful with what you have. Yeah. Even if what you have is a little... Even if what you have is small, you need to be faithful with that, right? So there's service in the house of God, and service in the house of God is taking care of the house, but ministry in the house of God is taking care of the people of the house. So we had both service and ministry in the household where I grew up. Service was every Saturday morning, you got to wake up and you got to mow lawns and you got to rake the grass and you got to clean out the garage, and we're going to clean everything out of the garage, put it back in, and do the same thing again next Saturday, and it's going to look. (laughs) But working on the house is something everybody had to do, washing dishes, sweeping and mopping floors. You're part of a household. You help with the household. But then ministry is taking care of the members of the family. Josh was sick. Somebody needs to make him some soup. Somebody else needs to, you know, uh, take him some water. Somebody else needs to make, you know, if a member of the household needs care, the other members of the household care for those members of the household. That's both service and ministry, but both of them flow out of sonship. Now, if, if somebody comes to your house and they're caring for your house and they're caring for the members of your house, but they're not a member of your house, they're a servant. And God doesn't have any quote unquote servants yeah. who are not sons yeah, and yeah, daughters. Yeah. The only ones he allows to care for his house are the sons and daughters of the house. Now, if we follow this metaphor out, your mission is what you're supposed to do. And how many would like some clarity on what you're supposed to do in life? When you leave this place, what are you supposed to do? Now we got to talk about your vocation. What are you supposed to do and how are you supposed to do it? And how do you know you're on the right track? It's by making sure that vocationally you are honed in on the mission of God for your life and that you are building your career and your vocation around the mission of God for your life. If God is your father and you're his son, then wouldn't your mission be To help him search for his lost children who have left the house like the prodigal son. I mean, think about it. If I'm still living in my parents' house and my brother Charles runs away, what's my mission? If mom and dad are searching frantically for my brother, what's my mission? My mission is to help find him if mom and dad are running out to find him, I'm going to be following mom. I'm going to, I've got to work with mom and dad to find little bro, because little bro is wayward. Yeah. If we're a family, then my mission is to help find my lost brothers and sisters yeah. and bring them home. Yeah. It doesn't mean I can't have a career. Yeah. doesn't mean I can't have a job. But the heart of my mission is the mission of my father. Yeah. Amen. In the kingdom, the heart of the mission of the sons of the kingdom must flow from the heart of the mission of the father. Which means you don't get your own mission. You don't get your own dream. You don't get your own desire for your life. If you're walking around here asking, what do I want? What do I want to do with my life? You miss not only this whole Abba retreat but the whole Kingdom First series. You haven't heard anything that we've said in the last seven weeks. If there's anything that the last seven weeks have taught us is that it's not about you. It's not about what you want to do with your life. It's not about where you want to go. It's not about what career you want. This is the whole backward thinking of most of us in the body of Christ. Is Where do I want to work and what do I want to do and what career do I want to have? And that's scary for you, isn't it? It's scary because you think, does that mean I have to go into full-time ministry in the church? (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The church would go bankrupt if everybody tried to go into full-time ministry in the church. (laughs) We wouldn't even have a church because everybody's trying to work for it. (laughs) And we would be the most ineffective church because nobody would get saved. Because nobody would be out there talking to anybody. We would be a Christian ghetto. Just the Christian projects. We just only talk to one another. Just locked in. And we would completely miss the mission of our father. If I were the father, and I had wayward sons all over the world, I would take the sons of my kingdom and send them all over the world. If I had wayward sons and daughters at Facebook, I would take sons of the kingdom and send them to Facebook. If I had wayward sons and daughters in Hollywood, I would take sons of the kingdom and send them to Hollywood. If I had wayward sons and daughters in the tech scene in San Francisco, I would take sons of the kingdom and send them to the tech scene yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I had wayward sons and daughters in the entertainment industry, I would take sons of the kingdom and send them to the entertainment industry. If I had wayward sons and daughters in the education field, I would take sons of the kingdom and send them to education. That is, you've got to begin to reframe your understanding of your vocation. Because If you're not thinking this way, you just see it as doors the Lord opened for you. Oh, wow. The Lord opened a door for me to work at Google. I'm so thankful God opened that door for me. And you walk right through and all of God's lost sons and daughters are all around you. And you're just walking through going, thank you, God, for opening this door for me. And the father's like, I sent you there for my sons and daughters. I didn't open the door for you. I opened the door for me and my mission. I have heard the groans of my people in Egypt. I am concerned about them. I have come down to rescue them. Therefore, you go to Google. You go to Facebook. You go to Pixar. You go to Hollywood. You go to Las Vegas. Wherever God sends you, he sends you because he's heard the groanings of his lost sons and daughters there. God is on a mission. Yeah. The only question is, are you going with him? Well, yeah, yeah. Are you too busy with your own mission? Your own mission to come up. <laughs> what you trying to do? I'm just trying to come up. <clears throat> and you get, a, you get a better paying job. I done came up. Started at the bottom, now we're here. Look at Moses, born a slave in Egypt, but he done came up. Adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he done came up. Grows up as the prince of Egypt, he done came up until he came of age. He came to maturity. By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a moment. Choosing rather to endure hardship with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses had to wake up and realize that he came to the palace not simply because of the blessing. He came to the palace not because simply God wanted to bless him. He came to the palace not simply because God wanted him to be a rags-to-riches success story. He came to the palace because God wanted to use him to be a deliverer and a redeemer. He came to the palace because God had a mission for his life that was greater than his personal ambition. You see, the primary hindrance to God's mission for your life is your ambition for your life. And in order to enter into God's mission, you must surrender your ambition. Yeah. And you surrender your ambition not by throwing it away, but simply by taking it to the feet of Jesus yeah. every day. And, and sometimes you don't know if your ambition is in, in line with his mission or not, and that's why you just take it to him every day. Yeah. God has a mission, and it's God's mission. And the great problem with the Christianity of the United States of America especially is that it is largely nominal. The wrong gospel is being preached largely. The gospel of me. The gospel that says, come to Jesus and he will save you, heal you, bless you, deliver you, free you set you free, increase you, break poverty off your life, make you rich, give you joy. And that's the gospel we preach. And we have traded the product of the gospel for the content of the gospel. The product of believing the gospel is salvation. That's not the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is Jesus is Lord Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. The content of the gospel is who Jesus is and coming to Jesus and surrendering your life to him. That's what the gospel is all about. And if you do that, yes, you do get saved and you do get healed and you do get blessed and you do get delivered and you get all these things, but for a purpose. I remember I was in the car with my Uncle Charles one day when I was probably seven or eight years old and he hops in the car and I hop in the front seat and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a fat wad of money, big fat bankroll and hands it to me and I was excited I counted it it was like eight dollars I was like dang man I done came up <laughs> and I said thanks uncle Charles and he just smiled and said you're welcome and then 10 minutes later he pulled into the gas station and he looked at me and said go put some gas in the car <laughs> and I held out my hand <laughs> He said, what you holding your hand out for? I said, give me the money for the gas. He said, I already gave you the money for the gas. I said, well, how much you want me to put in? He goes, $8. (laughs) What God has put in your hand is not for you. God wants to prosper you, yes, but not for you. God wants to bless you, yes, but not for you. God wants to increase you, yes, but not for you. You have not because you ask not, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you might spend it on your pleasures. The reason you wanna come up is so you can come up. The reason you wanna be blessed is so you can be blessed. The reason you want God to open a door is so you can go through it and go to another level. And God is looking for believers to rise up and say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Not my ambition, but your mission. Do you realize that when the gospel was preached in the early church, in in the days of the early church, when people heard the gospel, the result was that with everything inside of them, they wanted to completely and totally surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and become his disciples for life. That's what the gospel is supposed to do to you. What it's supposed to do to you is it's supposed to... Create within you a desire for complete surrender to Jesus. Yeah. Total. Jesus, my everything is yours. Yeah. Because you gave your everything for me. Yeah. You held nothing back. Yeah. Even your own life. Yeah. Yeah. And because you, because you paid the price with your life, you bought me. Yeah. You paid for me. Yeah. You ransomed me. Yeah. I belong to you. And so my everything is yours. Mm. My everything is yours. And if you spend any time with the Father, any time at all, if you're actually positioning yourself as an active recipient of His love, you cannot help but sense the burning of His heart yeah. for His wayward sons and daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. And here's the problem. Because I believe any of us in this room who knows Jesus would love to be a part of that. We just feel unqualified, inadequate, ungifted, unprepared, and untrained. And because we feel those things, it means we've completely missed it. It never was about you being qualified. It never was about you being trained. If you believe you need to be qualified, trained, equipped, and all of that stuff, then you must think you, you have to do it. Yeah. You need to be qualified if you get to save people. Yeah. Here's the good news for us. You can't save nobody. Yeah. Neither can I. Yeah. Jesus is the Savior. That's enough. We only need one. We only need one Savior. Do you know what we need? We need a life Characterized by radical obedience, yeah. a life characterized by radical obedience. You know, I had I had I had experience a couple of days ago. So I did a, a funeral service, and um, this family that was really struggling. I did it uh, a week ago on Saturday. I know this family's struggling, but they gave me a love offering. First, the mother gave me a love offering, and then the son gave me a love offering, and then the daughter gave me a love offering. And when the daughter gave me the love offering, I was like, no, 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 your brother already gave. And she goes, well, I'm giving you one too. And I felt so bad receiving it because I knew this family was struggling. She gave me a $100 bill. And I wanted, everything in me wanted to just give it back. I said, no, 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 I can't take this. you got to keep this. But I felt the Lord say, no, 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 keep that. Keep that. So I was like, all right. So I held on to it. I put it in my wallet. And I kept meaning to go to the bank and deposit it, but I never made it to the bank to deposit it. I go to the gym late one night. It's like 11 p.m., something like that. I go to the gym, and when I pull up and park next to me, there's a car parked, and there's a guy sleeping in the car. And the Lord said, that's who that $100 is for. And I'm like, God, I'm scared. <laughs> you don't just be knocking on somebody's window when they're asleep in their car. I mean, number one, you like, might humiliate the guy. It's like, excuse me, homeless person, excuse me. Like, you know, like, what do you say? Hi wake up. You know what I mean? Hello. You know what I mean? You might even get shot or something. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm thinking. You know, for Beast Oakland, I'm always like, I might get shot. Yeah. Anything might get you shot in East Oakland, you know, you know what I'm talking about? But this is the key. Obedience to God always requires courage and courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the resolve to act in the face of fear. Yeah. Courage doesn't mean you don't feel afraid. Courage means you simply make the decision, I feel afraid, but that's not going to stop me from obeying God. Amen. So, good. so I knocked on the window and I handed. I woke, woke him up and gave him the $100 bill. He didn't even speak English. The interesting thing, and he didn't even look like overjoyed. He's like, oh, Gracias. He's probably just shocked somebody knock on your window and hand you a $100 bill. That's not like every day. Yeah. Here's the key. This is this is what I'm getting at. Do I know 100% that that was God? You know what? I might have missed God there. But I'm willing to lose $100 to obey God. Yeah. That is, the risk of missing God is more painful for me than yeah. the risk of losing $100. Yeah. That's what often stops us. But what if I give this and it's not God? Then I find, oh, dang it, I lost my $100 for nothing. (laughs) Do you know what's more painful? What if I drive away and keep that $100 but miss God? That's more painful. That's more painful. Dang it. I had an opportunity to be a part of something that God wanted to do for this person here. I had an opportunity to be a part of something that God wanted to do in this person's life, and I missed that opportunity because I was afraid and I wanted to keep me safe. See, we have it in our minds that people in the world don't want Jesus. And that's completely wrong. Yeah. People want Jesus. They just never met him. They just don't know him. Yeah. People, want, people everywhere want Jesus. Yeah. The problem is we don't walk close enough with the Spirit of God to hear the Holy Spirit say, Go talk to that person. Yeah. Yeah. And secondly, we don't understand the gospel clearly enough to know what to say to them when we do go talk to that person. And here's what this whole weekend has been all about. If you are pursuing your purpose every day, which is going deeper into intimacy with God every day, you're going to grow to a place of intimacy with God to where you are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you'll hear him wherever you go. And secondly, now that you have been through both the Kingdom Series and the Abba Retreat, you understand the gospel. Yeah. Because what you didn't know, you thought you were coming here to get something for you. <laughs> yeah. What you don't realize, and what I didn't see until the summer, yeah. is that what we've actually done over the last two days is equip you with a presentation of the gospel yeah. that has the power to cut through hearts. Yeah. And reach people for Jesus. And if you've actually taken this $8. That we just put in your hand the last two days. You can go put some gas in the car. This was the revelation I got in the middle of the summer, and I, I started to tell you guys about this earlier. Before the retreat, I was in Singapore, and I had to take a, an Uber from our hotel where my wife and daughter were to, to the home of a friend that we had stayed at pre- previously, and our luggage was there. And It was about a 25-minute drive, and I called the Uber, and I got in the Uber, drove 25 minutes there. We didn't say a word. I got out of the car, and I told the Uber driver, I said, if you wait here, I'm gonna Uber back to the hotel. I just need to grab my luggage. He said, no problem. I come up with my luggage loaded in the back of his car. I hop back in his car, and as soon as we pulled out of the gate, the Holy Spirit said, share the gospel with him right now and don't go easy. Because a lot of times when we share the gospel, we go real light. We tread real softly. But the Holy Spirit said to me, you've only got 20 minutes. You ain't got time to go easy. So go hard. And so I looked at his name and he had a, a very clear um, Middle Eastern name. And I figured he was Muslim. It was Muhammad something, you know. And so I said, um, I asked him, I said, so are you a Muslim? That's how I start the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you Muslim? (laughs) You know, they're like, try not to start it that way. You know, that's not. (laughs) But to me, the Holy Spirit said, don't go easy. So I, I mean, I just knew I just had to go right at it. Whatever it was, I just had to go right at it. So I said, are you a Muslim? He said, well, my parents are Muslim, but I'm atheist. I said, really? How'd that happen? He said, well, when I was in high school, I did a study on Islam, and I just discovered that God is not in it. I said, okay, so you didn't find him in Islam, but that's not the same thing as being an atheist. To be an atheist, you have to conclude that there is no God, that he doesn't exist. How did you come to that conclusion? He said, okay, well, maybe I'm not an atheist. Maybe I'm just a free thinker. I said, oh, okay, so all you're saying is you haven't found God. He goes, well, basically, yes. I said, well, I found him, and I'm going to tell you about him right now. He goes, okay. I start preaching the gospel. Five minutes, he starts whimpering. Another five minutes, he starts sobbing. Another five minutes, he starts bawling. And as we're pulling up to the hotel, I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, that's the Holy Spirit on you. Jesus is trying to come into your heart. All you got to do is open the door and let him in and he will come in right now. Repeat this prayer after me. He said the sinner's prayer. He invited Jesus into his heart and he just exploded. I mean, he was wailing and he pulled up in front of the hotel and he jumped out of the car and came around and buried his face in my chest and heaved and sobbed and wailed and sobbed and heaved and sobbed. And he said, I've never heard anything like this before in my life. No one has ever talked to me like this before in my life. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. You know what that is? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And it didn't dawn on me till later. Guess how I preached the gospel to him. Guess what I told him? I told him that God is his father and that he's a wayward son. And that the greatest tragedy is that he's not letting his father love him. And that God sent his son Jesus to look for him. And that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for his sin. And that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're being brought back into the arms of a loving father. And by the way, your purpose is not what you thought it is because you've spent your whole life searching for some purpose, searching for something to make you feel significant, searching for something to make you feel like your life is meaningful and you can't seem to find it in the world. That's because there's nothing out there in the world that will make your life feel meaningful. But do you know what would make your life feel meaningful? Coming into the arms of a father. Sir, do you have any children? No, my wife and I have been longing to have children, but we can't have children. Why do you long to have children? Oh, because I want somebody to have my name. Please, you can adopt somebody and give them your name. Matter of fact, just open a phone book. Find plenty of people with your name. That's not why you want children. (laughs) Why do you want children? You know why I want children? Because I just want to love them. Well, that's why God wants you. He just wants to love you. And all God wants is to love you. And that's why God's heart hurts for you because he's longing for you to come back into the arms of his love. God is waiting for you. God is longing. And that's when the tears started coming and the tears started flowing. Why? Because there's something on the inside of every human person that longs to return to the arms of their loving heavenly father. A few weeks later, we were in, in uh, Korea and we were in uh, uh, Chejido Island and we grabbed a, a, a taxi. We hired a taxi at 7.30 in the morning and we were driving to the other side of the island and it was really early in the morning and we get in the taxi and as soon as I sat in the taxi, I heard the Holy Spirit say, preach the gospel to him. His, his heart is open. And I said, baby, you got to translate because <laughs> the man didn't speak English. He only spoke Korean. I said, baby, you got to translate. And, and my wife was so tired. She's like, okay, all right, all right. So I start sharing the gospel. with him, as soon as we pull out, I start sharing the gospel with the man. I start talking to him. Mm-hmm. Turns out his wife is a Christian and his mother-in-law was a Christian. And they'd been begging him for years to come to church. But he was telling them, that's your stuff. Keep that to you. Leave me alone. I don't believe that stuff. You guys believe that stuff. Have fun at church. Don't try to pull me into that. I don't want anything to do with that. We start sharing the gospel with him. Within 20 minutes, the tears started to flow. And he took my hand. I led him in the sinner's prayer. And all of us were crying. <laughs> Guess what I told him? <laughs> god is your father and you're just one of his wayward sons you thought it was about right and wrong you thought it was about morality you thought it was about you should go to church because it's the religious thing to do god's longing for you is not a religious longing it's the longing of a father for a wayward son do you know how long it's been do you know how hard it would be if your son went away and you hadn't seen your son in 30 years How do you think your father in heaven feels about you being wayward and not being there? Your father is longing for you to come back into his arms. You see, once you are armed with the gospel, that's why Paul said, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. When he said, "Put on the whole armor of God," we talk about the shield of faith, with which you can quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But Paul said, "Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel." You've got to know the gospel, and you've got to be ready to share the gospel. And if you know the gospel and understand that sin is not about right and wrong, it's about wounding the father heart of God, that the sin is a tragedy because it separates you from being able to experience the love of God. It's not not about morality. It's about the love of the Father in heaven who longs to take you into his arms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Yeah. Good. And this is the key to all of it, isn't it? This is the key to all of it. Acts 13, I'm going to end with this. I want the worship team to start coming right now because uh, we got to do this. We got to do this quick. Acts 13, there were certain prophets and teachers in Antioch. Then it names them. What were they doing? What were they doing? As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, I want you to get this picture. There's this group of people in the church at Antioch. They're in a city that's filled with people who do not know Jesus. And this is what they decided to do we're going to separate ourselves, we're going to go on a retreat. And what are we gonna do during that retreat? We're gonna minister to the Lord. What do you mean minister to the Lord? We're gonna connect with the Father heart of God. We're going to position ourselves as active recipients of his love. We're gonna pursue our purpose. We're gonna build intimacy with God. We're gonna connect with him. We're gonna call upon God. That's all they did was minister to the Lord. Minister to the, you know what it means to minister to the Lord? You know, when we talk about ministry, we're thinking of ministering to one another. And we forget that our purpose is to minister to the Lord. I remember one day as I was driving in my car and I was talking to the Lord and I was worshiping the Lord and the Lord spoke to me and said, son, prophesy to me. I said, prophesy to you? I didn't know you needed a word. (laughs) He said, son, prophesy. And I thought, how do you prophesy to God? And all of a sudden my heart knew. I said, you are Lord yeah. and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the nations will come before you. They will declare the glory of your name and I will exalt your name in the presence of my brothers. All the earth shall praise you. All the earth shall praise you. And all of a sudden I'm ministering to the Lord and I I realize that worship itself is prophesying to the Lord. It's like taking God to the altar and laying hands on him and giving him a word. Prophesying to him about his future. As they ministered to the Lord and then it says they fasted, which means they set themselves apart from any means of pleasing themselves. They said, we're going to focus our undivided attention on pleasing God. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them. As they focused 100% on God, God revealed the work. They didn't have to come up with the plan for their ministry and for their their, their outreach and, and what they were going to do. They just had to focus 100% on God. They ministered to the Lord and fasted. Remember, it's God who does. It's God's mission, not yours. He reveals it in his time and in his way. You don't have to feel anxious about it if you don't know what you're supposed to do for God. You don't have to know the day or the hour. If you leave this place with performance anxiety, oh I hope I'm doing the right. You missed it. You're not supposed to have any anxiety. You're not supposed to spend any time trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. You minister to the Lord and you trust God to speak. I realize every time I've tried to step out and get somebody saved, it doesn't work. Every time I've tried to step out and get somebody healed, it doesn't work. But when I follow the leading of the Spirit of God, it always works. It only works when it's God's idea, not your idea. But we never get to hear god's idea because we don't spend enough time in his presence we don't walk close enough to hear him say talk to that person you don't walk close enough to hear him say go pray for that person you don't we don't walk close enough to hear it or when we do hear it we don't we're not willing to take the risk because what if that was my thought and not god you know what sometimes it will be your thought and not god but the question is are you willing to take the risk What's more painful to you? Trying and failing or not trying and then realizing later that was God and I missed him. Yeah. I don't know about you, but the thought of missing God is more painful than my personal failure. And you will be used by God the very moment you embrace the pain of missing God as being more painful than, than trying to obey God and missing. Yeah. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Spirit said, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. Paul and Barnabas had no idea that the Holy Spirit had a greater plan for them than they had for themselves. And many of you in this room, I say all of you in this room, you have a mission. There's a work to which God has called you. He will reveal that work to you at different times and in different places and in different ways. He's not going to reveal it all today. The only question is, when he speaks, are you going to be listening? Are you going to walk close enough in fellowship with him from this day forward for the rest of your life so that even if he doesn't call you till you're 70 years old, you're still waiting? Simeon in the temple, God didn't call him till he was almost 100 years old. He was an old man up in years, and God finally shows up and says, now it's time. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, do you realize that he stands in the presence of God for eternity, for tens of thousands of years, but he only showed up on the scene three times in the Bible? He's willing to stand in the presence of God for 10,000 years to be used three times. Ananias, you read about Ananias, the guy in Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up, it's interesting that this guy, Ananias, is just fellowshipping with the Lord, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his living room. He says, go into the street called Straight and inquire in, the, in this particular house for a man named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about this guy, Saul. He kills Christians. And Jesus says, go, for he's a chosen vessel unto me. Isn't it crazy? Ananias would have never come up with that as his mission. But Jesus appears and says, I've got a mission for you, Ananias. Why did Jesus choose Ananias. All I know is he was, one of the, he was one of the only ones praying, probably. When Jesus needs to use him, the Holy Spirit is looking. Who's praying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's seeking my face? Who is, who's in my presence? Who's, who's fulfilling their purpose? Who is, who is actively pursuing the presence of God? Who's intimate with me right now? I'm looking for somebody to use, but nobody's giving me their attention. The eyes of the Lord travel to and fro the out the earth, to throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are completely devoted to him to show himself strong on their behalf. He's looking for hearts. Do you realize you don't have to strive to be used by God? He's looking for people to use. But nobody's looking to him. But as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now they're ready because they've set themselves apart to me. Now they're ready. Because they've determined in their heart to seek my face. Now they're ready. Separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them. And the missionary journeys came out of that. And the Galatian church came out of that. The Ephesian church, because of that prayer meeting and that word from the Holy Spirit, we've got the letters to Corinthian, we've got Ephesians, we've got Philippians, we've got Galatians, we've got Colossians, we've got all we've got the Thessalonians. All of this correspondence, first and second Timothy, it never would have come without that one prayer meeting that one word from the Lord do you realize two years ago a young couple came to me and Sonny at the fire at the campfire the night before the last night of the retreat and they said we want to tell you that God's called us to full-time ministry and we want to do whatever it takes to commit our hearts to serve God full-time would you pray for us and we prayed for him And the next morning in the service We gave an altar call for those who felt called of God to full-time ministry, and they came to that altar and received prayer. And do you know who that man and that woman is? Jeremy and Anna Jung. And if you look at them now and you see the way they're serving the Lord now, you think, oh, that's, that's always been them. That's always been their life. No, it wasn't two years ago. That's not what they were doing. But it's what they're doing now. You know why? Because of a moment like this. This is a holy moment right now this is a holy moment right now this is a holy moment right now the Lord is here this is your burning bush for some of you today I have heard the groans of my people I'm concerned about them I've come down to rescue them but can I send you? are you willing to go? can I send you? I'm looking for sons of the kingdom that are willing to let me send them can I send you? got wayward sons everywhere and my heart is broken for them. Can I send you? Are you going to live for the gospel? Are you going to live for yourself? Are you going to live for your own blessing and your own come up? God says, I want to come up. Let me come up. Let the gospel come up. The love that you've experienced, are you going to bury it in the ground and keep it to yourself? As long as I don't lose that love, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's that spirit of the servant, the lazy servant that buries the love of the Father in the ground and doesn't give it to anybody. Are you gonna multiply it? You only multiply it by taking the risk of giving it to others. Separated to the gospel. Separated to the gospel. This is not. This is not about being called to full-time ministry in the church. This is about being separated to the gospel. If you work at Facebook, you're separated to the gospel. If you work at Google, you're separated to the gospel. If you're a designer, you're separated to the gospel. If you're an engineer, you're separated to the gospel. If you work for the IRS, you're separated to the gospel. Whatever you do, you are separated to the gospel. And if that's you, you say, I want to be separated to the gospel. I can hear my Savior calling. I can sense the Spirit calling me. I want you to get up out of your seat and come to this altar right now and say, Lord, separate me to the gospel.